If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn them to the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 5 today. I'm, I'm kind of excited. I, we are starting, we're launching a new uh, worship series for this fall quarter, and we'll be looking uh, specifically at what we know or we call uh, the Beatitudes. And we've titled the series uh, Basic Retraining. Uh, we want to take uh, an in-depth look at each of the statements that, that Jesus makes here, each of the blessings that he pronounces uh, at the very beginning, at the very outset of his ministry. Uh, Jesus, before he starts any of his teaching, he extends a word of grace. He, he extends a word of blessing. And if you, if you just look really quickly at the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 1, we get the genealogy of Jesus, and we learn a little bit about Jesus' birth. And chapter 2, uh, the, the wise men, the magi, come and, and, and visit Jesus. And, and then Joseph and Mary, they, they kind of flee to Egypt and find their way back when God calls them to return to Israel. Uh, then in chapter 3, we, we learn about John the Baptist, who, is, who came to prepare the way for Jesus. And, and as John the Baptist is conducting his ministry out in the wilderness and calling people to repentance and, and to baptism, Jesus himself, he comes out to John the Baptist and presents himself for baptism. So Jesus is, is baptized. And then after that, he, he comes up out of the waters of baptism and, and is led out into the wilderness, where the devil comes and tempts him. Go your own way, Jesus. You can achieve everything that you came to do under your own strength, under your own power. And Jesus turns the devil away, and, and then he starts to, he comes out of the wilderness, and he begins to preach the message of the good news and, and calling people to repent, and, and he's going along, and, and then, you know, we flipped over into, the, the, at the end of chapter 4, uh, Jesus starts to call disciples, and, and he, he comes along some fishermen, and he said, hey, you know what, leave those nets and your boats and this business and, and this industry that you know, and, and come, come follow me. I, I want to teach you how to fish for people now. So Jesus is starting to build this team around him, and then we get to chapter 5. And he has this team, and, and he's already started his ministry of, of teaching and healing, casting out demons. And so the crowds are interested in what he's, what he's doing, and they start to follow him. And so we get to chapter 5, and this is, a, this is our text this morning. He starts off his teaching ministry with this series of paradoxical statements. And they're really statements that are in direct opposition to things that we have been trained by our world. We've, we have been trained to think one way, and, and these statements that Jesus makes right at the beginning of his ministry take us in a completely different direction. It's paradox. I, I'd ask you to stand as we look at, at our text this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to go through this process of 
basic retraining. And, and I know it's difficult to unlearn something and, and learn a new way of thinking, a new pattern of behavior. But I'm convinced that if, if, we, if we live and we view our lives as Jesus suggests in these, that he promises that we will begin to see blessing the same way that he sees blessing. And, and that our lives will begin to change and to conform to, to his way. And instead of being bent in on ourselves, we will be bent and leaning in to God. And this is the way Jesus begins. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. That, that's an interesting picture. He went up the mountain and he sat down to teach. The disciples were with him in the crowds. And, and the picture that we have here is, is almost like a king who has sat down on his throne and he, he calls his subjects, his royal court to him, and, and he begins this inaugural address telling his subjects exactly how it's going to work, what life is going to be like in his kingdom. His disciples came to him and began to teach him, and he began to teach them. You know, he's talking to the disciples. i got to pause one more second. He's talking to the disciples, but there's a crowd all the way around. His teaching is... We're to, I think we're to understand and assume that his teaching is specifically for those who have made an intentional commitment to follow him, but the crowds are still present. They may wander by and, and stop for a moment and listen in. Whoa, that's intriguing. Some, some may say, you know what, that's not for me, and keep moving on. So, some may pause for a little while, and some of it may fall on them and they kind of drift off. Some, some may stay. Jesus is teaching his disciples, but the crowd, the crowd is there. It's a picture of what happens in the church, even, even now. Jesus' teaching is for those who have who've made the commitment to live under the reign of God. Yet, yet some will come and listen in for a time and, and drift off. The presence of the crowd in our text is a constant reminder to us that, that there's people that, that we need to invite to join. When they come and listen, the invitation is always there. Hey, stay a while. This just might change your life. Jesus opened his mouth, literally. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. The verse that I want to look at most intentionally today is, 
is that first statement in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, in many circles, poor is a four-letter word. Not necessarily in the vulgar sense of some other four-letter words, but not, not too far removed from that. We don't like the sound of the poor word. Uh, it, it, I'm convinced that if, if we are given a choice to be poor, dirt poor, or not, we don't even have to go to the other extreme of filthy rich. If, if we have the, the chance or the, the opportunity to either be poor or, or a couple steps over here to be comfortable, I'm thinking nine or more out of ten of us would say, I, I want to be comfortable. And when I was growing up, we didn't, we didn't have a lot. Um, most of the time, I, I didn't think too much about it. it. It wasn't really on my mind. We were making it just fine. We didn't seem to be um, too affected by it, but we didn't, we didn't have a lot. And, and I remember looking around, and, and I would compare things that I had or didn't have, and I'd peek over the fence to see what my friends had. And once in a while, uh, you know, a little of that envy thing happened. You know, back in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up, there were some cool things that that I thought would just be really neat to have. Um, a color TV would have been good. Uh, a cable, having cable would even be the icing on the cake to that. Then there was that uh, CCM hockey helmet that I really wanted. And uh, the aluminum hockey stick when it came out with the interchangeable blades at the end. Now that would have been sweet. Parachute pants? No, I'm not going to go there. <clears throat> the Atari 2600 gaming system with Space Invaders? Oh, yes. That would have been fantastic. All those things would have been nice. They would have added to my life in ways I don't, I don't even know, but they just seemed to be cool at the time and things that Yes, I would like that, and I know my friends have it, but we don't have the money and can't have those things. Things were okay. It wasn't that big of a deal. Once in a while, though, th there were times where being poor was pointed out, where, where when you didn't have something that, that the situation was designed to kind of rub your nose in it. And when you're poor, you don't need to have other people rub your nose in the fact that you're poor. I remember standing in lunch line at school, and our family qualified for free lunch assistance for hot lunch. And when you, when you got your free lunch ticket, it was fluorescent pink. It was about this big. You know, they're only doing five little punches for a week. 
all the other kids who had the regular, you know, you paid for your lunch, their ticket was about half the size and it was, it was blue in color. So I remember standing in, in lunch line and, you know, pulling out my pink ticket as late in the line as I could, and I just felt like pulling that ticket out of my pocket was turning on this flashing neon sign that said, poor kid alert, poor kid alert, poor kid alert. There's just some times where you, do, you don't need to have other people rub your nose in the fact that you don't have a whole lot. Society has a way of uh, keeping poor people down. Uh, society has a way of keeping people's poverty in front of them, where, where they can see it. You know, when you're poor, you don't need other people to point out the fact to you. And in our system, it seems to be set up so that, yes, there is opportunity for poor people to rise above that, but the system seems almost rigged that it's really hard to get ahead. It's really hard to take advantage of the opportunity considering the situation. You know, kids' sports, for example. If you, if you want to make it to uh, a varsity team in high school, well, the system is set up that they pick the kids who have the money to go and play on the club teams and go to all the camps, and if you don't do that, then you're less likely to get picked. How are you supposed to get ahead when, when that's the case? And that's a small example. I think about my friend Gail. She's uh, a friend of mine from another congregation that we served, and, and she's poor. The, fir the first day that, that I met her, I, I looked out of our church office window, and, and I saw her walking towards the door. Her head was kind of down. She was kind of walking at a slow pace, just kind of looking around like, I don't, I don't know if this is the right place for me to be. And she was just really tentative. And when you read, blessed are the poor, the word that's used in the Greek here for poor is, is the Greek word tokos. And the picture that you get that comes along with that word is one that's hunched over, bent down like a beggar. Gail came into the church office in the perfect posture of this word tokos. She had a disability that didn't allow her to work full-time. And she had been in a constant battle with the system to get disability benefits. Time after time after time, something was wrong with her paperwork. An I wasn't dotted or a T wasn't crossed. Whatever they could say to push it back on her, say, you know what, try it again. Keep your chin up, keep a smile on your face, but not this time. It was wearing her down. She qualified for the benefits, but somehow, for some reason, somebody just put the rubber stamp, no. She was just discouraged feeling of hopelessness. 
found out that she was about to be homeless. The person that she was living with uh, was moving out of town, if I remember right. And all of the belongings in that particular apartment belonged to this other person. She really didn't have any notice that this was going to happen. So she didn't have a place to live as of like in three days. Not a belonging to her name, furniture or household-wise. She had some clothes, but they were tattered and, and worn. She had, had a little bit of money, but, but not a lot. And so we were able to help her find a, a place where she could live, uh, just a couple, you know, couple rooms and a small space. And, and, and we were able to, to help her find some furnishings for this place and, and a set of dishes. And, and we tried to help her through as, as best that we could. But the system was set against her. She had some ability to work, but every time she would put those tattered, worn clothes on and try and present herself the best that she knew how to do, she'd walk in to try and apply for a job and she'd get written off before she could even get an application. Of course, people were relatively polite about it, but the statement was, we don't hire your kind. How, how are you supposed to get ahead? How are you supposed to take advantage of that opportunity when the system sometimes just seems to be stacked against those who are in poverty? You know, I don't have to explain poor to us too much. Most people in us, our society laugh off poverty come up with cute little jokes. You know, we're so poor, we opened an email account just so we could eat the spam kind of thing. We, we have legislation that, that marginalizes and pushes out of sight people who don't have a lot because you know why? We just don't want to deal with it. We, we don't want that there's poor people in our presence, because it makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe because we read in the gospel that we're supposed to take care of them. And if we don't see them, then maybe we think that they're not there to care for. See, poverty has a way of shattering hope. Poverty has a way of destroying dreams that, that people have. And if we're really honest, and we go back to that, oh, I could be poor, or I could be over here, and I could be comfortable, I think every one of us is going to come up here and stand in, in the comfortable position. We, we don't want to carry that label that says poor. See, Luke's version of, of the beatitude that we read today, it simply says, blessed, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. The, the word that's used for blessed, uh, both in, in Luke and in Matthew, the word for blessed there is makarios. It means happy. It means fortunate ones. And so we read these, this beatitude and we say, happy are the poor. Well, that's an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense to us. It's a paradoxical statement. Happy are the poor. Fortunate are the poor. You know, if, if you went to my friend Gail She'd be anything but happy. 
about living parts of her life. She'd be anything but happy about being poor. See, when we hear statements like this, blessed are the poor, we're challenged in in a couple ways. First, it, it doesn't quite line up with what we're taught. Happy are the poor. Fortunate are the poor. Blessed are the poor. Well, that, that doesn't line up with the way the world promotes the people who are blessed are, are the ones who are rich, the ones who are powerful, are the ones who are popular. Those are the blessed people according to the world. And, and the world promotes that if if you're poor or poverty-stricken, then you've done a couple things. You, you know, either you've made a series of bad choices or you've done something completely wrong or you're just unlucky. Certainly, you're not blessed. The poor in our society tend to be pushed to the edges. It was no different in the time of Jesus. The second thing the second challenge to us uh, with blessed or the poor is when, when we use a word and we say, uh, we say that this series of statements that Jesus makes, blessed are, we call them the Beatitudes. And Beatitude is from a Latin word, but when we hear the word Beatitude in English, sometimes we hear it as two words, be, attitude. And we hear it as, oh, if, if I'm going to experience this blessing that Jesus has just pronounced, I have to be this way. So once in a while, when we get to the Beatitudes, we hear Jesus saying, blessed are the poor. Well, wait a second. We all just made the choice we'd rather be comfortable over here, and now Jesus seems to be saying that we have to be poor to be blessed. And so we hear it wrong, because that's not what Jesus is saying at all. The Beatitudes are, are not teaching us how to be blessed by God. They're not instructions on how to do anything. See, these blessings really can't be good news to us if they, if they have to be understood as a, a set of how-tos on how to achieve God's favor. That, that's not what Jesus is doing here. Beatitude simply means it's the blessing of God. Jesus is not commanding us to be poor in this statement. This is not the language of, of exhortation. This is what's called performative language. These are pronouncements that Jesus makes. By speaking the blessing, Jesus is putting the blessing into motion. These are words good news. They're, they're words of grace for those who experience this condition. Jesus is saying that, that people who exhibit these traits can celebrate. They can be happy because the kingdom of God will not pass them by like the kingdoms of the earth who tend to shove them to the margin. The blessing is that, that God recognizes their position and says, I will not abandon you. The kingdom of heaven is yours. You too can experience the kingdom in its fullness. 
I had a really good plan a couple weeks ago on how I was going to preach this sermon. And once in a while, you know, I had it lined up. I'm going to talk a few minutes about this and a few minutes about this and a few minutes about this and, and you know, we'll have a nice finish and a prayer and, and we'll go home. And, and I, th- I thought it would work and, and God said, no, that's not, that's not what I want you to talk about. Um, and once in a while, he just shows up to change my mind on occasion. And I, I truly believe that God walked into our church office this week. Uh, he showed up pushing a walker, a little red walker, a little platform on it. On the walker, he had a 70-pound pack. I'm guessing 70 pounds. It was tattered, frayed. It was kind of damp. I don't know as if he could have carried that pack. He was wearing a a red softball jacket that he got at a Goodwill store. He, He had long, unkempt hair. A really long beard that was kind of matted almost braided in the front. Had had an eye patch on one eye. He was from Jacksonville, Florida. He went by the name Charles. He had a wife that passed away back in 2003. When he was rebounded from that he he found an, another woman to be engaged to and three days before their wedding day she went in for surgery two weeks later she didn't make it plunged him into the depths of despair and, and he's been wandering around ever since not not knowing what to do he, he gets beat up regularly. He said, I, I, I fear the first and the third of the month. I, I've tracked it. Every time I get beat up, it's either the first or the third. You know why? People assume that he gets a disability check or some kind of welfare assistance from the government and they think he's got money. He said, when they find out I don't have anything, they just beat me up worse. That's why he wears an eye patch. Limited vision out of one eye. Only thing that he had in his pack, no sleeping bag, no tent. He had some clothes. He had a couple Bibles and some Bible studies. He, He didn't express a long-term need. He just said, you know, if, if you had about 20 bucks, and if I could get a ride about 25 or 30 miles south, that's really all I need. Try to connect him to other sources of help and, and encourage him to, you know, to settle down in, in a place and, and, 
and latch on to a group of people that would love him and that he could love. He's not ready for that yet. But, but he reminded me of James chapter 2. Parts where it talks about faith without deeds being dead, being useless. Part, part of this beatitude, I think, calls us out to consider the poor among us. There's certainly a part of it that we'll get to in a minute that calls us to consider how it affects us personally. But it really shoves us out to keep our eyes open, to, to look at people with the eyes that Jesus has, to see people like Charles recognize the help that, that they need and not, and not just see it, but take steps to help, to come alongside to love, to support, to travel with. If you looked at Charles' situation and you put it alongside a statement that said, blessed are the poor, I don't know if he would agree with that. Most people wouldn't. But he, there was something about Charles that kept him going. He was a person who knew his own limitations. He, he was a person who recognized that to get through life, the only source of strength that he could latch on to was God. And, and that's what kept his spirit alive. That's what kept his hope going was that he could cling to God no matter what. No matter who beat him up or passed him by or didn't give him money or no matter how hungry he was or how sick that he felt, he could go on because he knew it was just by the grace of God that he was here in the first place. Once in a while, you just need somebody to remind you of that. I want you to look closely at verse 3 in Matthew. Because we, we, in Charles, we get a perfect description of what Matthew is trying to tell us. See, see, Matthew, Luke says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom. Matthew adds a little, two words in there. He, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. See, Charles was one who was blessed because he was poor in spirit. When Jesus looked out, he was, he was teaching the disciples, but when, when, when he looked out past the disciples, he saw the crowds. He saw the, the paralytics. He saw the epileptics. He saw the people who were possessed by demons. He, he saw the sick. He saw the poor. He saw the people who had been kicked to the margins of society, the ones who were overburdened and overworked. And he said, blessed are you the poor in spirit. He, he wasn't telling them what to be. He, he was naming what they already were. And he said, you're blessed. 
Matthew's not trying to spiritualize poverty here. Since the time of the Psalms and, and even before, the, the poor were the characters, characterization of the true people of God. They were those who, who recognized that they were utterly dependent upon God for everything. This beatitude is talking about people who are at their breaking point, who are at the end of their rope. Popular theology in our culture would say when, when you get to the end of your rope, just tie a knot and hang on. I think that was Roosevelt who said that. The beatitude is saying, when you get to the end of your own rope, go ahead and let go because you're hanging to the wrong rope anyway. Reach over and grab that rope that God has out there for you. See, the poor in spirit are, are, are those people who, who they, they recognize their, their own limitations. You know, when, when you feel like all is lost, The good news in this text is that you're not abandoned. The good news in this text is that Jesus speaks a word of grace to you. When, when the events of the world around us begin to press in and crush your spirit, when, when the fear of terrorism starts to set in, or, or, or when you look around and, and you read the news and, or you watch the news and, and, and you just see it, divisions all over our society in politics and, and all sorts of other things, when those things start to weigh you down, when you're worried about finances or the stock market, that's when you begin to realize that you're poor in spirit. You have this sense of hopelessness that, that sets in. So we, we see the poor in spirit all over the place. We see him standing in line over at the Lewis County Gospel Mission. We see him on the phone with Love, Inc., trying to get through to get just a little bit of assistance. We see him walking through those very front doors out there. Hey, I heard this church was a place that likes to help people. Is there any help for me? people who are standing on the corner holding a sign kind of like this. It's people who are sitting on the couch late at night in a darkened room with the glow of TV and the clicker in their hand just clicking through channels trying to numb their mind and get lost in some other reality. Poor in spirit are laying in hospital beds or in nursing homes left alone in bodies that aren't functioning right. You find the poor in spirit hovering over the kitchen table with a stack of bills on one side and a checkbook over here that doesn't have enough to cover it. You find the poor in spirit standing in front of the mirror not liking what they see. You find the poor in spirit walking up and down the halls of our schools, wondering why sometimes friends can be so nice, and then on the other hand, they can be so two-faced and hateful. 
They're in the hospital. Waiting for the doctor to come in with good news. That maybe, just maybe, the treatment worked and there's no more cancer. Poor in spirit are overworked, underpaid. The people who feel like they're at the end of their rope. There's people sitting here right now. I think you know what I'm talking about. See, we don't want to be poor in spirit, but, but this world sees to it that we are. But listen, listen to Jesus. He says when you're poor in spirit, you're blessed. Makarios, you're happy. You can, you can count yourself as fortunate. He begins his whole teaching with these blessings. He puts it out there up front, not as things that we need to try and achieve, but as recognition of the condition that we find ourselves in. He looks out at those in the crowd, the the poor, the poor in spirit, and he says, this is your lucky day. The kingdom of heaven has come to you in its fullness, and it's available to you. blessing that Jesus pronounces in this first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The blessing is the kingdom of heaven. When when, when you're poor, you could say that there's something missing, right? That there's an emptiness, there's a, a void, there's, there's a cavity, there is a lack of something when you're poor. I mean, think about it maybe in terms of, um, terms of an old-fashioned well. When, when you would go out and you would dig a well, you have to remove earth, you have to remove dirt, remove rocks, remove all that soil, and you dig a deep hole down far enough to where there's water, and the water comes up and fills it. So you empty something for the express purpose of having it be refilled with something that you could use. Or, or, or maybe think about, it, think about your stomach. It's coming up on lunchtime soon enough. And maybe some of your stomachs are starting to growl, and maybe you had a good breakfast, and, and you've just worked hard enough thinking this morning that, that you've burned off your calories, and your stomach is starting to feel a little bit empty. And when you have the opportunity to put some food in your stomach, it feels good, right? You could almost say that when you are able to, to get a good meal and fill yourself, that you are blessed. You experience a blessing. In a spiritual sense, you've got to think the same way. When we become spiritual beggars, those who recognize our spiritual poverty before God, and when we... Ad- when we empty ourselves of ourself and get out of the way, that leaves an empty space. That leaves room for God to come in with His Holy Spirit and fill us back up. See, we sometimes need to get out of the way. Sometimes we need to root things out of our life. Sometimes we need to, to dig that soil, dig those rocks. Whatever's in the way, we need to 
take them out of our lives so that there's room enough for us to experience the fullness of the kingdom. And, and what Jesus is saying right here, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit recognize they can't do it on their own. The poor in spirit have done work to clear a space in their life. And instead of trying to fill it with money or sex or notoriety or, or any of the other things that the world would tell us that would give us satisfaction, we recognize that no, it's, it's God that we need more of. Less of me, more of God. So as we empty ourselves of us, that's when we have room to experience the fullness of the kingdom. And that's the promise that Jesus says. When you figure that out, the kingdom of heaven is yours. It's already there. I think about the prodigal son. Remember over in Luke chapter 15, Youngest son went to dad. Hey, dad, I want my inheritance now. He went off to a foreign land and he blew it all, trying to fill his life with meaning, with things of the world. He found himself eating pig food, laying in a trough, down and out. And Luke tells us when he came to his senses. He thought, maybe I could go home and maybe my dad would let me work for him. When he, when he came to his senses is a way of saying, when he figured out, I'm poor in spirit. I, I got to remove some stuff from my life to leave an opening that, that maybe the fullness of the kingdom of God, this forgiveness and grace and mercy and love, all of those things, maybe just, maybe they'll be available to me when he came to his senses. You know, I'm not telling you to be something today. That's not what the Beatitudes are about. But what I want you to know today is that when you come to the place where, where you're poor in spirit, where you're down and out, where, where you just feel spiritually empty or, or spiritually dry, Jesus has already spoken that word of blessing into your life. I know, it's more difficult to hear and receive a blessing than it is to try and attempt to work at achieving it. But what I want you to hear, what I, what I want you to receive today, is that when it feels like the end, when you, when you feel worn out, when you feel fatigued, depressed, disillusioned, burnt out, like you can't just take any more steps in your journey, But there's good news. And the good news for you is that Jesus has already spoken this word of grace into your life. God's prevenient grace, it goes out ahead of us. God's 
already been on every step that we have ever traveled. He, he is out front of us. He precedes us. He has, he's already traveled where we travel, and he's out there, and he's calling us to himself. And when we recognize our spiritual poverty, that we are poor in spirit, that nothing that we can do on our own will earn his grace, When we empty ourselves, he, he's already out there, willing to meet us where we are and to fill us. And God's grace is sufficient enough for us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. I, I cut up a bunch of pieces of cardboard this week. I want you to take a piece of cardboard. It will require standing up and coming to get it here in a minute. But I want it to be a reminder of two things for you. First, I want the piece of cardboard to be a reminder that there are poor people in our community, that the poor live among us, and that we cannot read our Bible without feeling a heavy burden and responsibility to help them. I know our cities and our towns and our states and our governments will try and legislate and push people out of the way. You don't see too many people around Centralia anymore hanging cardboard. It's because we thought we could solve the problem by just getting them out of the way kick them down to the next exit. Part of the reminder of this cardboard is they're still with us. The poor among us, they're, they're not a problem to be solved. They're really a people to be joined. That's what we're called to do. Second thing I want you to remember remind yourself is that we are poverty stricken before God none of us has an ability to earn God's grace God's love it's free gift so this piece of cardboard reminds us that in a sense we're, we're all at the end of our rope in some way shape or form Eugene Peterson translates our verse this morning, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God. See, we're, we're all, in some way, we're just panhandlers in God's paradise. We, we need to trust that when we figure that out, empty ourselves of ourself that, that God's already there and he will fill you up. People God said, amen. Would you stand? I'm going to pray for us here. We're gonna, we have a couple songs to close this out. But while, while we're singing, I, I want you to take some intentional steps I want you to slip out of your chair, 
walk down the aisle. Uh, I want you to take a piece of cardboard. I think it'll be a wonderful journey over these next weeks to talk about the ways that Jesus recognizes how things are and he pronounces blessings on us anyway. You know, take, take your cardboard home. One side, maybe you write down the verse for today. The other side, maybe you just need to write words like tired or worn. Whatever God is speaking to you right now, wherever you need to get out of the way, however you're feeling right now, write it on the cardboard, carry it around, hang cardboard all week. It'll be a reminder to get out of the way and let God fill you up.